When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call them a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. On a night like this, so glad you came around. Hold on to me so tight and heat up some coffee grounds. We got much to talk about and much to reminisce. It sure is right on a night like this. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the freewheeling Rob Kelly, and joining me to talk about on a night like this, the opening track from 1974's Planet Waves is fellow Bobcat and my pal, Keith Bowman. Hi, Keith. Hey, how's it going? It's going great. Thank you for doing the show, man. I really appreciate you having me. It's, it's good to be on. Absolutely. Now, I mean, as some of you who listen to the show are aware, I do a bunch of other podcasts and I do one on MASH. I do some on movies, but I also do stuff on comic books. That's another one of my big passions. And as you might expect, the overlap of Bob Dylan and comic books is pretty, pretty minuscule. <laughs> uh, but, but once in a while, I will do a show with someone. Uh, it, it generally goes in this direction, not the other direction, in that I will do a show with someone on comic books and then somehow... Over the, you know, just over the course of dis- discussion or online, that person will mention that they're a Dylan fan. And that's what happened here, because, of course, Keith, you were a guest on my mountain comic show because you vac- you vacationed in the Pocono Mountains around the same time when you were a child. And I uh, I was so excited to get you on that show because you're the only other person I know <laughs> that has done that. And so that was so cool to be able to talk to you about having those shared experiences. But then we talked about that you were a Dylan fan as well. So. Uh, I'm really happy to have you on this show as well. You you are two fifths on your way to achieving a Robbie Award, where you get <laughs> if once you appear on five of my shows, you get uh, a fake award. So you're on your way, sir. Oh, uh, I hope we can make that happen because I do love Mash and I do love Treasury. There you go. There, <laughs> that's for. Do you like Super Friends? Are you? I do Super love Friends? the Super Friends as well. well. All right. So I, I think I can actually do it if you have me on. Absolutely. We got that lined up. So, all right. Uh, we'll talk about that off air. So, uh, as I said, we're here to talk about the opening track from Planet Waves on a night like this. And there is, as I mentioned to Keith off air, there's a little more to this historically than I would have guessed, because this is obviously one of his more slight songs. But that doesn't mean uh, there's not a lot to enjoy about uh, this this song. But before we get to that, Keith, I have to ask you, of course, how you, did you become a fan of Bob? Okay, well, I, I'll try to, to minimize the story. But, no, don't don't uh, worry about it, man. Just just let it rip. <laughs> I was, you know, so I was in my teens during the 80s. So I had grown up listening to both AM and FM radio. My mother would always have AM radio on in the car, um, like in the late 70s, mid-70s, late 70s. So I was exposed to, like, the Carpenters, Captain and Tennille, sure, Simon sure. and Uncle, you know, the softer side of rock. Right. But, um but on my own with my little transistor radio uh, taped to the handlebars of my bike or hidden underneath my pillow at night, you know, I would listen to the excellent Philly rock stations like WMMR and WYSP. Sure. No one will. Um, and that's where I was really exposed to like the classic rock giants, you know, like Pink Floyd, the who, the Beatles, Stones, etc., Zeppelin. And so also a lot of my musical discovery at the time came from the, the KTEL album collections <laughs> that you see advertised on TV, uh, where they would like list the artist and the songs and stuff like that. And that's kind of how I discovered my, my rock music taste. 
Um, and mixed in with all that, you know, certainly was, was Bob Dylan. Like he was, you know, on those rock stations. So I knew of his hits, like, you know, Rolling Stone, Bowling in the Wind, Times Are Changing, Knocking on Heaven's Door. And strangely enough, like, I remember like listening to Lay Lady Lay a lot because that was on AM radio a lot. But um, I never realized that <laughs> that was Bob Dylan for years. Um, but, you know, so I knew his songs, but I wasn't intrigued enough to really go down that rabbit hole of discovery. He was just like one of those artists that when it came on, I enjoyed it, but didn't really dig deep into his catalog at all. So in my 20s, I got a job as a store manager of a West Coast video store. Oh, West Coast. Um, and I'll, I'll pause there for anybody that wants to take a couple minutes and Google video stores um, or West Coast. West Coast, but, I remember that, man. Oh, man, yeah. this is just trip. This, you're just trip hammering through all of my childhood memories. Kid. Yeah. So strangely enough, that was very instrumental in me discovering uh, Dylan for, and, and really in two ways. Like the first was, that we were allowed to take home two video uh, video movies a night as being an employee of the store. So as you can imagine, I you know took this opportunity to watch and absorb everything that I possibly could. Um, but I also am a huge fan of um, westerns, the you know the genre of westerns, especially seventies westerns. So one night I took home Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, which you know as, as I'm sure everybody knows, you know, Bob Dylan had a small part in that, which sure. was awesome. But he also did the amazing soundtrack. And I instantaneously fell in love with that movie. And a big part of that was because of the soundtrack. So at the same time, the owners of West Coast got the lease to the store next to it. Um, it was like a five, I mean, it was like a dollar store kind of thing mm. that had gone out of business. So they got the lease to that. They knocked down the wall. And they created like this big West Coast superstore. And in that extra space, they put in a CD store, a music store, and they put me in charge of the whole thing. So I was like in charge of the ordering, the stocking, the signage, hiring, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it was super fun to do. But I also had a deal in place with the, with the owners that when I made an order for, for the store, that I could also order one copy for myself. And as long as I used it to play in the store as promotion, I could keep that CD. That's a good deal. Yeah, it was a great deal. It was a great deal for a number of reasons. But so at the time, you know, when it came to stocking up the soundtrack section, I definitely ordered me some Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, Um, which I, to be honest, like a little side note, like that is the best soundtrack one of the best soundtracks of all time, I feel. Wow. Like, okay. I, I, Bold I go, statement. Yeah, and I'm sure that many people will disagree with me. But I go American Graffiti, Pat Garrett, and Billy the Kid, and then uh, Pretty in Pink are my top three. But anyway. Wow. So There's three very diverse soundtracks, by the way. Yeah, it, you it, know? It, but but I, I feel like they fit the, the film like to a T. But anyway, so at the time um the owners also were the first store in the area to start a buyback um and sell you cds so we would buy back you cds and then sell them in the store 
And one day I remember this girl came in and she sold back her copy of Biograph, the uh, three CD box set sure. of Bob Dylan, which cracks me up nowadays because because of like it was a huge box for like three like small CDs. Like nowadays, like a box set is like twelve albums and and all this kind of stuff. But it was a box set of three CDs, and uh, I've been feeling. If I remember correctly, I think it was her ex-boyfriend. So they there you go. <laughs> That's and, the story. <laughs> and, and I feel like she wasn't uh, a Dylan fan. So, um, so I bought it back from her, and then I kept it for myself. Um, <laughs> and then I would use. I used to play all the discs all the time in the store. And to me, it was a great way because it was like a best of at that time, and some unreleased stuff and whatnot. Um, so that was my my gateway into Dylan between Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid soundtrack and that. Um, so I never really explored any of his other catalog, like the full on CDs. I would just always go to to those three CDs, those four CDs, only the soundtrack as my exposure to to Dylan. And that's you know, and I go through periods of time like I like I said, I grew up in the eighties. So my passion, to be honest, is um, like post-punk, like Echo and the Bunnymen, Cocktoo Twins, The Cure, that kind of stuff is, is really, once I discovered that music, that that became my music. But I've never lost, like, and I, but I also have a huge love of, of jazz. And I still really love classic, classic rock. So I will go through my periods of like, oh, I feel like listening to classic rock for a couple of days. And I have certain artists that, that like I'll listen to Hendrix for a couple of days or I'll listen to Pink Floyd for a couple of days. And Dylan, Dylan fits into to that category. Like I'll get into a mood to listen to Dylan. And now it's so much easier with Spotify. Like yeah. I have his, you know, his complete catalog um, to go through, uh, which is, which is nice. But so, I appreciate I like being on here, but I'm definitely not like the biggest Dylan fan that you've had on, on this podcast. But I really but I do really love his music and appreciate his music and his contribution to the history of rock and roll. Yeah, well, that's that's all that's all that I really care about. There's no you know, I, I we've said this on other episodes. I don't believe in gatekeeping. Someone's into it a lot. Someone's into it a little less. I don't care. You know, <laughs> it's all to me. It's all worthy conversation. So you've. Have you gone out and bought the records since, or are you more sampling it through as you talk about Spotify and everything else, and you're just getting it that way? Um, I usually listen through Spotify, but I do have probably 10 of his albums on vinyl. That I'm going oh, okay. And, and bought on vinyl. But unfortunately, I have like three turntables, and none of them like, work properly at the whole time. <laughs> we have the same problem. So we, have, we, have I, one, we have one, too. It doesn't seem to work. Yeah, so I have this huge vinyl collection. I can't listen to it, so I'm trying to rectify that soon. Um, so I can't even tell you which ones I have, but I did buy some of his. I forget what the one with the black and I mean the blue and white cover with the stars on it is. It was more one of his more recent ones. I really enjoyed that one. Um, the blue and white cover with the stars. Wow. Yeah, it's got like his name like screen printed like multiple times on the cover. I am looking at his albums right now. I have no idea what album that is. <laughs> I'm now I'm getting excited. There's some release that no, I don't know. No, about. You know that it's one of his recent ones and it was like a double album. Hold on. I will tell you. And like 
people are probably yelling at, oh, uh, it's uh, Together Through Life. I thought there were stars on it, but it, there isn't. I'm sorry. No. It was the red. <laughs> okay. That's, right. that's probably what was throwing you off. All but right. There we go. Where it was named was screen printed three times. Oh, well. yes. Yes. That does. Yeah. It does look like it's screen printed there. That's absolutely true. But yeah, the, I kept seeing stars. I'm like, what? For some reason, I thought in that red band, there was like two stars <laughs> on either side of the word. There's some. There. It's like there's some stealth release I didn't hear about. Hold on, Keith. We got to pause yeah, the yeah. show. I got to yeah, go buy this. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so good to know. Have you uh, have you seen him live? Is that anything you'd be interested in? I would love to see him live, but um, I've only ex- I've only like gotten hints of what he could be like through hearing you talk about right. shows. <laughs> right. um, which I meant to ask you: Have you ever met the man? Oh no, no. No. That's what, I, I didn't think so, but I, I always wanted to ask you that because um, I would love to hear that tale. But oh, no, I would love, kidding. I would love I'd open every episode with it if I had yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that. Be the, that would be the intro. Now, it's one of those things where, you know, on the one hand, you of course you'd want to. And on the other hand, maybe you kind of don't, you know, yeah, so yeah. Uh, just because it's never going to. Yeah. You know, it's just like that's that's a lot of pressure on him to be exactly what you want him to be. And right. if there's anything Bob Dylan excels at is not being who you want him to be. Yeah. That's kind of his whole thing. So, uh, no, 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 no. I've, uh, I, I, there's that, there's a photo of him. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Um, and I've, I've mentioned this again on the show multiple times. There's a photo of him in like a, uh, like a seven 11 type deal. Like it's like a, like a rest stop kind of right. restaurant and he's reading the sporting news. And in <laughs> the background, there's like a logo for blimpies or something. <laughs> and I don't, I don't even know where that photo was taken. I, I have to assume it was taken by someone who was part of his camp because it's, it looks like a real, it, it doesn't look staged, right. but it doesn't look like a photo somebody took with their phone either. Right. And I've always said, if I ever got a chance to meet him, that would be the context. Like yeah, I'm yeah. driving home late at night, you know, when I stop at a rest stop and there him in the tour band, you know, there, there's the bus and there he is. And I always feel like, would I have the ability to 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 have enough self control to do this? Probably not. But I feel yeah. like if I ever saw him, I'd make eye contact, I'd give him a thumbs up, and I'd walk away. Like, yeah. that, like that's it. I don't want to bug him. That would be the most ideal possible scenario. But yeah, I, I hear you because it's like that. It, it would be so frightening to yeah. to, to meet him. Yeah, um, it'd just be terrible. Yeah, back back many many years ago, another lifetime ago when I was showing my work around at Columbia records and like, I actually did interview with someone who did some of his graphic design and I allowed myself to be like, wow, could I imagine if I started getting work at Columbia records and I got somehow on one of the Dylan albums with that, you know, I mean, you know, right. I'm sure that's, you know, the, the, there's no way that happens either. But at right. the same time I was like, well, I, you know, I'm in the, I'm on the floor that he's probably been in maybe. So I allowed myself to dream. I always think like people like that, it would be great to meet them in a very casual situation. Like somebody's like dinner party that you're at, that you're all comfortable and it's comfortable conversations that you can kind of like interject or, you know, bring up a topic or or talk without the pressure of like, like meeting him in an elevator or like, you know, something like that would be would be too scary for me. Like, cause you only have a certain amount of time and it's just such a forced thing. Yep. But in a casual situation, I think I would be okay with meeting some of my heroes. If it was in a very conversational kind of 
environment. Yeah. Oh, I imagine an elevator would be the worst because you've, <laughs> you've got that pressure laid on you of like, this is going to last maybe 25 seconds. Right, right. And I have to now say everything that's been built up in my mind to this point. In right. 25 seconds. Yeah, only the most genius person can, can come across as anything other than like a gibbering idiot. Yeah, and then then exactly. you've great. Now Bob Dylan knows that one of his fans out there is a gibbering idiot. <laughs> yeah, well done. Yeah. So, uh, well, it's kind of funny. It's a perfect segue because if you did see him live, if you ever did see him live, one song that you will probably never hear is this song on a night like okay. this because this song uh, we're kind of starting, we're kind of reversing the trend of how I get into this. This song has been performed zero times live, <laughs> um, but but. And I always find these things to be somewhat, I think, instructive of how Dylan feels about some of his back catalog in that this song, again, leads off the Planet Waves, 1974's Planet Waves. But it has been put on Biograph, which, of course, you just mentioned. And it was on the 2007 massive Dylan collection, which was like an even bigger kind of greatest hits collection. Right. Now, this song was released as a single. It's actually the first single off of Planet Waves. It didn't really chart in any real way. Um, it was B-sided with uh, You Angel You. But it was not a hit in any way. And Bob himself, as I mentioned, has never played it live. But to me, the fact that it has shown up on two quote-unquote greatest hits collections tells me that someone either in his camp or him really likes the song. And they want to keep giving it you know, some 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 attention Right. Even though he himself has never done it live. That always to me is very interesting because there are songs of his that are on records that he's never performed live and don't appear on any other collections. You know, they did this were on the album and that's it. But the fact that it was dusted off in 1985 and then again in 2007 to me says something about how he feels about this song um, in particular. So why is it uh, of all the songs we could have talked about, Keith, why do you want to talk about this one? Yeah, I, I had a feeling that you might ask that question. The, um, and it's funny that, that you just mentioned that because if you asked any Dylan fan like what their top 100 songs were, I can almost guarantee you this isn't going to make, make their cut, right? Mm -hmm. But for me, I love this song for, for a, a number of reasons. And first of all, like I said, like I'm, I'm a Dylan fan, but I also like when I listen to his music, it's definitely layered. Right. There's a lot of metaphors going on. There's a lot of wordplay going on. There's a lot of stuff that you've got to unpack and kind of wrap your head around. And sometimes when I listen to it, I feel kind of stupid. <laughs> you know what I mean? I feel like I know he's saying something really important here. I think it means this, but I'm pretty sure it doesn't. So there's almost like an anxiety sometimes, like when I listen to his music of like, because I feel like I'm not smart enough to, to comprehend the greatness of it. But, but that's how I feel. But like when you listen, but every time I hear this song and the fact that it leads off Planet Wave, it's just, it sets the tone to me. And it's such a happy song. Yeah. Um, and it's very straightforward. Like there's not a lot of metaphors going on on this. But actually, if you, if you, when I listen to it, it still has layers to it, which is crazy. Because it, it's very straightforward and telling a very simple story. But to me, I feel like there's a lot of layers still to to his wordplay and some of the lines. And it's like one of those songs that I'll hear it and literally I will be humming it and singing it 
like throughout the rest of the day. <laughs> like it's that earworm that just gets me for some reason. And the, the, the third thing too is I feel like um, this is kind of like a, to me it feels like a companion album to to the Pat Garrett soundtrack. Mm. Like I feel like this, and I and I love it because like the band plays as the backing band on it. It's got like that ramshackle, oh yeah, kind of like honky tonk bar kind of feel to some of these tracks. Um, and it also feels like it's set in like the 1800s to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I like about it. And that's why I feel like it's kind of like a companion piece to, to the Pat Garrett soundtrack. Um, that, that this is like, has like a, a frontier feel to it, but also has like that ramshackle, uh, bluesy, uh, boozy kind of feel to it, which, which, which I really love. Oh, I can totally picture the band playing in the background here with like you know like a jug you know and like doing that doing the the washboard using like the washboard you know just that kind of because yeah it does have that uh, i love the way it starts with the and you know and then he kicks in with the you know singing and yeah it really does have again garth hudson is on the accordion and it's just absolutely uh wonderful playing and yeah the the these songs with the band the ones on planet waves where the band is is uh is there with him and you know, not like wedding song where he's by himself. Um, they, it, it feels like to me that like the band is like one minute away from completely falling apart. Yeah. You know, it yeah. just has that feel to it. And I think that's, that's, that's a feature, not a bug. Yeah. Is that they yeah. like that kind of just like, you feel like yeah. it's just, everybody's one second from the instruments just flying off in all directions. Like yeah. cut, cut, cut. Hold on, hold on. Yeah. It has that feel of like, they're just kind of holding on to the rhythm as best they can. And, and Dylan's vocal is very fun. I mean, it is. It's an incredibly catchy song. The second verse is on a night like this. So glad you've come to stay. Hold on to me, pretty miss. Say you'll never go away to stray. Run your fingers down my spine. Bring me a touch of bliss. It sure feels right on a night like this. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's a sexy song. It's a, it's a sexy song in a gentle way. Uh, but it's, you know, it, it's very evocative of the idea of holding up with your loved one. It's cold outside, and again, you throw on the fire, and we'll talk about that in a minute because there's kind of a you know significant line in the song for about that. But it just it, I mean, part of the reason I think people love the guy so much is that he can put across what he's feeling in a very powerful way in any given moment. And sometimes what he's trying to get across is something vast and complex, like visions of Johanna. And then sometimes he is happy and content. And he's trying to put that across, and that's what he's doing here. And so right. it lands the same way of like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm getting this. This it's an infectious song. Even if you yourself are probably not feeling it at the moment, you kind of feel that way after the three minutes of the song. Right. It, it's it's got an authenticity to it that that you feel like he's not imagining this, but this is something that that he's experienced. And to me, like even like the use of the word coffee grounds just makes me happy for some reason. Like I feel like there's other ways that he could have phrased that. But again, this kind of goes to just setting the scene of like, Oh, this is, this is like set in the frontier where they would have had, you know, coffee ground and put in tins and it would have been there and on the, on the counter. Um, But I don't know, just some of the, the phrasing 
for some reason that that line particularly makes me happy and going back to the layers of this and, and the fact that like this is obviously someone an, an old flame that they're rekindling mm-hmm. their relationship and the fact the one line that makes me smile every time i hear it is you know uh put your body next to mine and keep me company there's plenty of room for all so please don't elbow me <laughs> and the reason that makes me smile is because it almost seems like the line please don't elbow me can mean a couple of things and and to me it means like that might have been the reason why they they broke up in the first place because she might have been smothering him Hmm. or you know crowding his space or it can mean that like he knows that like like she might she might she might take up the bet right she might Hmm. steal the covers It, it might but it's also that layer of these are two people that are familiar with each other and like they could have been apart and now they're back together for this moment in time. And they kind of just fall back into that, that pattern of being familiar with each other. And, and even he kind of like goes that a little bit further when he says, I'm not, if I'm not too far off, I think maybe, I think we did this once before. Yep. Yep. Um, which which makes me smile too, and it, and it, it, again it speaks to them to him saying that hey you know a little wink and a nod of like hey remember the last time we did this kind of thing, which and to me that that's what I was trying to get at earlier that like I love it because there's more to the story than just what you what you hear on the one level like there's there's actually layers to this story and it, but it seems so simple and it it boggles my mind that this is like you said, like nobody would put this probably on their top 100 list or like, this is a song that, that, that's just buried in his catalog. And it's still such a great song. (laughs) And and it, it makes my head hurt. then when I think about how many songs that he has written that are like this, that are just, you know, spectacular at this level crazy that's why he's a living legend yeah it's a very economical song i mean he said that line about uh you just mentioned if i'm not too far off i think we did this once before it it conveys so much in just what like 12 words right you know that you're like oh okay this is not a new relationship this is something that uh like a fire has been rekindled and again if you want to lean into the you know the the self-biographical nation nature of his songs you could say well he's He's talking about Sarah. They know they had a rough patch, but obviously uh, he was in a very romantic mood when writing the Planet Wave songs because mo- a lot of the songs on this record are his most unabashedly romantic and straightforward. I mean, even to the point where Dylan himself has criticized them. I mean, he, I think he, in one biograph, You Angel You is on there, and he refers to his own lyrics as dummy lyrics <laughs> uh, because they were so straightforward. And again, I think a lot of people aren't expecting that from him, especially... At this point, still 1973, he's coming and we're still known for all the phantasmagoria of of uh, <laughs> blonde on blonde, and here right. he is singing about coffee grounds. Um, and he mentions let the four winds blow around this old cabin door. You, I can sort of, I'm imagining like the hateful eight. You know, yeah. I mean, not the, not the events of the hateful eight, but that, right, but that feeling of the hateful eight of the, you know, you open the door and the the wind is blowing. They're like, put the way. Put the, you know, nail the wood against the door, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> you can sort of imagine that. And, and yeah, so many Dylan songs take place in this indeterminate time. 
Right. Nobody really seems to know. And and uh, I could picture him singing this dressed like Alias from Pat <laughs> Garrett and Billy the Kid. I can just sort of imagine yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and like you were saying, the other there's the other verse. On a night like this, I can't get any sleep. The air is so cold outside and the snow so deep. Build a fire, throw on logs, and listen to it hiss and let it burn, 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 burn on a night like this. And, of course, people have pointed out that that is him borrowing a phrase from Jack Kerouac. Uh, on the road, because one of the more famous mm. passages from On the Road, which I, it, I have to admit I have not read, mentions that phrase, burn, burn, burn. Now, Bob is inverting it uh, from Kerouac's meaning, but it kind of goes back to what you were talking about, that even something that sounds so simple as this, he's still pulling things from his brain. He's pulling things from books he's read. He's pulling things from his life and injecting them into the song, maybe using, again, the the opposite meaning of what he's read. But even something, again, something that seems so simple, like this song, he's still got some sort of you know, literary roots to it because it's all just jumbled around in his head. Right. Uh, it is kind of amazing. Uh, I, again, I read, uh, I have not heard in any alternate versions of this song. Planet Waves has, so far, bootleg series-wise, been relatively underserved. Compared to other albums, there are some, of course, outtakes on the first bootleg series. But apparently, according to uh, a book, uh, let me see which book uh, I'm quoting here, Still on the Road, the 1973 recording sessions, him and the band did 10 takes of this to get it right. This is the the one on the record is the final (laughs) take. And I mean, I know that, you know, you know, with some exceptions, Bob doesn't do 10 takes of songs. You know, he does, he really, he gets bored with stuff and he moves on. So the idea that they tried this 10 times is kind of remarkable. And I would love to know, I mean, obviously I'd love to hear any alternate versions, but a man, I'd love to hear the alternate takes of this. I mean, I imagine the lyrics are probably somewhat similar, but man, right. I, I, I'm, I'm hard pressed to imagine how were there nine versions of this that were unsatisfactory to where he had to do the 10th one. And then that's the one they felt finally got it right. Well, it, yeah. apparently they must have done that a lot on that session because what's the what's the famous song from this album? The, um, Forever Young. Yeah, Forever Young. You know, the, the reason why there's two two takes on there is because yep. he kept going back to it over and over and over and over again, and, and I forget who it was really liked the the slow version. Yep. Um, and fought for it to be on there, which yep. I also wanted to ask you. If you knew of any, where the title Planet Waves comes from, because to me, like when I listen to this, and this is probably just me playing my own, my own spin on it, is that it feels like an, like it feels like waves. Like it starts off fast and then kind of goes slow and then fast mm-hmm. and then slow. And even the way the, the slow song version of Forever Young closes out this side. Right, and then the fast version starts the second side, and then the wedding song ends it on that slow. You know, it almost feels like there, there's a, a wave, kind of like crest and falls, or crest and falls, kind of thing. But, if there, yeah, if there is a uh, verifiable story as to why he calls it Planet Waves, I have not heard it. Uh, famously, Planet Waves was originally going to be called Ceremonies of the Horseman, hmm. which is, of course, a line from his own song. Uh, ceremonies of the horseman even the pawn must hold a grudge and i think i've even seen if my memory if my memory serves me well um i think i've even seen the original cover of planet waves when it was named ceremonies of the horseman 
And then at the last second, he scrapped it and they changed it to Planet Waves. So, and he drew uh, the cover of this. And right? he drew the cover. Yeah, yeah. This is, that's his painting there or whatever it is, charcoal drawing or whatever it is on the, on the cover. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know why at the last second he would change the, the, the title to Planet Waves. I think I would say, I, I feel like, uh, contra to say infidels, which of course was famously originally going to be called, uh, surviving in a ruthless world, which I think is a more interesting title. I think Planet Waves is, for the feeling of this record, as you're just saying, is a better title than Ceremonies of the Horseman. I, I feel like Ceremonies of the Horseman just kind of leaves me like, okay, right. how's that? How's that connected to the songs I'm hearing? Planet Waves feels more feels more right. Well, see, now I I have the question that I would ask in the elevator, right? There you go. <laughs> I'd be yeah. like Planet Waves. So what's that about? <laughs> I'm sure he'd love that. Yeah, asking him about some obscure piece of Arcana from yeah. 50 years ago. Hey, Bob, what's with the yeah. <laughs> what's with the album title change? Well, I don't I don't know, Keith. <laughs> um, <laughs> So the song ends with uh, let the four winds blow around this old cabin door. If I'm not too far off, I think we did this once before. There's more frost on the window glass with each new tender kiss, but it sure feels right on a night like this. And again, I love that we've just got, you know, one verse earlier, we've got the warmth of the fire. And then we've got, again, the inversion of that with the the frost on the window glass. So you're getting the sense again, it's freezing out. Let's just stay inside and enjoy each other's company. And, you know, if you want to really enlarge it and, Dylan's songs uh, invite that kind of feeling is by saying to the person in the song, you're saying to the audience, sit back, let's you and me just spend the time together because right outside it's cold. And that's, you know, as a scene setter for a record, that's a great way to start. It's like, okay, sit back, come on this journey with me through the next nine, 10 songs, you know, don't, don't worry about the outside world. Let's just go on this together. And so as a, as an opening track, it's, it's terrific. It's, it's a high, it's high energy. It's great performance. And so, yeah, it's, it's a super way to start the record. I was thought, thought it was interesting too, where this is, it's exactly that. It's very much about being in the moment because not once does he talk about like, because they have a past relationship, but, and there's only that wink and a nod to the, we did this once before. There's no talk of reminiscing. There's no talk about bringing up the past kind of thing, mm-hmm. unless you include the do- <laughs> please don't elbow me. But it's very much like, hey, what's we're we're in this together at this moment kind of thing. Yeah, which I, I really enjoy. And I do I really love the high energy of it. Um and this would be one song that I would love to see him play live, whether it be now or in his in his prime. Well, that's now. His yeah. Prime, his prime well, you know, I, the the that ramshackle energy, yeah. which which even by I I think you might have talked about this. Uh, you know, when you see Dylan live, and you again, you know more than me. It's like you don't know what you're going to get, right? Yes. Yep. Yep. So, but I I like I love watching old concert footage of him from like the seventies, the late sixties and the early seventies kind of thing. And, you know, just the energy that those shows had, um, that's kind of what I would love to hear him play that. If I could go back in time, that's probably what I would, I would choose. He won when he was on the big tour with the band, uh, ostensibly to sort of, it wasn't to promote planet waves because the tour was already 
uh, kind of prepared. It was a well, the this big is the first album that they got back together, right? Is, am I correct in that? Like, yeah, yeah, they had been right. They had been they had gone off after the basement tapes. They kind of gone off and done their own thing, and then they got back together, and then they went on this big tour. Uh, once in a while, he would pull out an obscure song from Planet Waves, and they would he would do it once or twice, and then never again. Uh, it's considering how fun this is to play. I would imagine it's a little surprising to me that he never even tried it once right. with that with the band at any point. Um, or as you say, have done it later. It feels like a great opener for a concert. Um, I it's sort of funny. It's kind of like um, they say about acting that only a really great actor can convey bad acting. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I almost wonder, I'm like, is, is Bob Dylan's current band so good that they can't make yeah. it sound like things are about to fall apart? Like, right. you know what I mean? like they're, they're not right. that good. Or can they do that? Or does that mean that's how good they're, that they can play it with that kind of freewheeling, no pun intended there, energy that, it, that it's going to sound like it might just all collapse in on itself. I don't know. I don't know. I would love to hear him try it i would love to hear him dig this out but but uh no no n- never in 50 years of touring never <laughs> so well, i'm i'm glad to hear that you said that there's like alternative takes to this because i really do hope that that there are and that yeah. they get released at some point because i you know through spotify like i said when i get into my dylan mood i'll just i'll go through and just hit random <laughs> and it, you know, just have it go through his entire catalog that's, that's on there. But the stuff that I always like piques my interest and I stop and I have to check out what's playing is usually something from like the bootlegs or something that's been unreleased or unfinished right? where they're playing and like the song will just stop in like the middle of the song right. or whatever, you know, but up until that point, it has that feeling of like, yeah, this is, they're slightly off. They're slightly struggling to find that groove, but man, it's, it, it has its own energy to it. And I could hear like this song, like I would love to hear like a long jammed out version of this. Um, like a, a like a longer take on it, uh, like with longer instrumentals and stuff like that would, I think that would be amazing. Yeah, there's a lot of they, they recorded a lot of stuff for Planet Waves, and it said uh, it's it feels like that's ripe for a bootleg series, a full on bootleg series exploration of all those takes and stuff like that. So maybe this stuff will surface at some point. That would be that would be wonderful. Uh, cover wise, Los Lobos did it for mm-hmm. the soundtrack to 2003's Mast and Anonymous. So there's another kind of vote for on a mm-hmm. night like this because I I would bet Bob had some level of veto power on the Mast and Anonymous soundtrack. So right. here's Los Lobos covering it. And then Buckwheat Zydeco oh, really? covered it uh, on uh, his 1987 album, 1987 album, On a Night Like This. So not only did he cover the song, he names the album after it. And you can find that on YouTube. And it's terrific. It's uh, super uh, high energy. And, of course, he's got the accordion. And uh, it's it's a really fun cover of it. I really enjoyed it. And then, uh, of all people, Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> played it with Buckwheat Zydeco on the last episode of Late Night with Jimmy Fallon. Huh. So uh, now we know Jimmy Fallon has met Bob. Bob's been on the show, not performing, but they did that right. little gag bit. Um, I tried to find the video of that performance, but NBC has since taken it down, so I was not able to find it anywhere. I'd love to hear it. I know Jimmy Fallon has his uh, detractors with with good reason, uh, but uh, he clearly loves Bob. I like his imitation of Bob. I actually thought it was right. pretty, pretty, pretty well done. And I would, I, you know, 
uh, that's fun to cover a Dylan song with Buckwheat Zydeco on the last night of your show. It's you know, that's just, pretty cool. So it's crazy that you bring up Buckwheat Zydeco because that's a name I haven't heard since like the 80s. Yeah. Like, yeah. remember like the, the late 80s? You know, it was like that and, you know, Paul Simon with, uh, with right his, when he was uh, right. Well, yeah, Lady Smith Blackman's Mombazo. Yeah, yeah, thank yeah. You. he was doing Greg Graceland and the. So there's kind of yeah. like this emergence of like world music or 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 like regional music that was taking hold, and I I really haven't even thought about Buckwheat Zydeco since probably that time. So yeah. I, I will definitely check that out. Yeah, it's a terrific cover. So again, it's one of those songs that uh, Bob himself. You know, while doesn't want to do it live for whatever reason, and the band never brings it up. I guess none of the ever the band ever is like, "Hey Bob, why don't we do one on it like this?" <laughs> but again, I don't think it's ever been completely forgotten by the man himself. By the fact that I said that it appears on these greatest hits collections every couple of decades, and and again, it's got some interesting covers and stuff. So yeah, it's a terrific song. It's a, it's a really fun, upbeat tune. It's romantic. And, uh, it's, it's a, you know, it's just a, you know, obscure song in the catalog, but it's, it's a great one. So thank you so much for wanting to talk about it, Keith. Yeah. And I, I know there's not a lot of meat on the bone to talk about as far as like, there's not any like heavy layers of, of there's no political intrigue to it. There, right. No. There's not a lot to interpret. Right. But, but that's okay but, too. You know, that's, that's kind of like why I wanted to talk about, it because again, like I'm coming at this as, as a fan, like I, Another reason why I kind of like don't delve into the history of Bob Dylan is because I love the mystery of <laughs> Bob Dylan. You know what I mean? It's like he's such a almost like a fictional character. To me <laughs> that, well, he is in a lot of ways. He really is. Yeah, and and but that's what I love about it. Like I, I love the, the the mystery behind him and the music and and the lyrics and what it means to me is kind of like my interpretation of it. And I love discovering that and kind of just letting it be because there's so many other bands that I like I loved. And then like, I started to like do research on them. And then like, I found out things that I didn't really, <laughs> didn't really jive with. And it kind of like took some of the shine uh, off of, off of their music for me. So I kind mm-hmm. of like enjoy that about Dylan, not knowing a lot about him. So that's why I say I'm, I'm not as, as knowledgeable as or big of a fan as, as you are, or some of your guests have been, but I, I, I do the stuff that I, I hear. I love, and I, like, I love putting it on. I love like when I get into a, a Dylan mood and we'll, you know, and then I just go down that rabbit hole for a couple of days, just listening to the stuff and discovering it and then moving on. And then like, I know I'll always come back to it. And when I come back to it, it's, it always, it almost always starts with this song. <laughs> like, I, it just always puts me, when I do playlists for friends or if, like, you know, if I, if um, we're having an event or something like that, I mean, I've got to make a playlist of music and stuff. I always put this song on because I know, I, I can't imagine anybody not liking the song just because it, it's just a, a, a really fast, quick, and very concise, fun tune that anybody can relate to kind of thing. Absolutely. And I think if you put it on for people that are not, that don't know Dylan at all, they would be like, this is Bob Dylan. Right. Partly because of the vocal, because he's got a kind of, he's still got slightly the la 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 going on yeah. from Nashville skyline, but also just the, the sentiment, 
I think I think most people still the average person regards Dylan as like, oh, it's like so serious downer music. And then you'd hear this, people would be like, Really? This is Bob Dylan. <laughs> yeah, this kind of right. like jug band kind yeah. of sound. Like that'd be kind yeah. of amazing. So uh <laughs> but I mean, yeah, that's all that's all that I think that's all that Bob wants. You know what I mean? Like right. I don't think Bob wants people to be like uh doing nothing but like ferreting out all the you know, detritus of every word. I think that's that he doesn't want that. So, yeah. uh, there, you know, there, there's nothing wrong with, uh, being a, a Dylan fan of, of any kind of stripe. So, uh, before we sign off, Keith, I do have to ask you this question. And I think I already know the answer before I ask it, but I, I'm going to ask it anyway. If there's any, uh, Bob Dylan record that you could attend <laughs> the sessions for, uh, you were just a fly on the wall and watch them get done. Which one would it be? Again, I think I know the answer, but maybe yeah, I, I think that cause I've said it over and over and over again. Yeah, Pat Garrett and Billy right. the Kid soundtrack. I mean, <laughs> oh, he's doing Turkey Chase. All right, they're doing Turkey Chase. That's you know, and it took like it's funny because Turkey Chase is the one that like, depending on my mood, I might skip over that. But every <laughs> now and then, like even that song, I'm like, damn, that's how good he is. I actually like a song called Turkey Chase, and <laughs> uh, and it, it, it's kind of out there. But um, the rest of that album, just oh my god, like. The, the first try I used to, to work in the city and like I had to walk like two miles to, to from the train station to where, where my, uh, the agency I worked at was. And in the fall, in the morning on, on a good crisp fall morning, the first track of that album, just like it's an instrumental piece and it's, it's just so good. <laughs> it, it's just perfect. Like walking music, um, but yeah, I would love to, to see that whole recording process and like find out like what he was thinking when he made that album, like what his influences were. Um, you know, that I didn't know that that's where, you know, uh, Knocking on Heaven's Door, which is used beautifully in the film. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, it's an amazing film from like, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's just like a really good western tale um and that soundtrack is just phenomenal yeah i figured that would be your answer but yeah i always like to find out anyway so well keith thank you so much for doing this man i appreciate it. you know i always enjoy talking to you no matter what it is we're talking about whether it's hulk comics or uh bob dylan songs uh now you have to have me on three other top three other shows all right so i can get the award all right we'll work on it so in the meantime why don't you tell people where they can find you out on the internet uh, well, you can find me at worklife.com and it's W-R-K-L-F-E.com. And that's, a uh, we're actually launching the sites up now, but we're going to be relaunching, um, my company in, in a couple months that we do screen printing. Um, we're going to actually put out a toy line. Wow. And uh, we have a small like uh, record label as well. So that's very cool. Yeah. So if people want to check out worklife.com. All right. Well, again, Keith, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Uh, and of course, everybody, you can find back episodes of the show on our website, findwaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to Pod Dylan on any podcatcher of your choice. If you want to buy the brand new Pod Dylan jukebox t shirt, please go to my Etsy page, uh, Rob Kelly Creative on Etsy. There's a link in the show notes to that. And if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, just go to patreon.com slash FW Podcast, and there you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name-checked on a show of your choice 
So big thanks to Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Max Hutzel, George Doherty, Joaquin Meckel, Paul Ruther, and Henry Bernstein for their support of Pod Dylan. I really appreciate it. So that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you later. Bye. Imagine that you hold the exclusive patent on the video cassette. How much do you think you'd be worth today? The birth of the video cassette changed the lifestyle of billions and made some people fabulously wealthy. And it's led directly to the huge success of this. One of the largest, most dynamic video store chains in the country, West Coast Video. America's favorite video store with over 600 stores, many of them franchised. West Coast Video can help make you successful in this business. And if you qualify, we're willing to share our formula with you. Start building your future now. No one knows how to help you do that better than West Coast Video. For details on owning your own West Coast Video franchise, pick up the phone and call 1-800-532-8100. That's 1-800-532-8100. Timing in life is everything. So call West Coast Video right now.